told you guys before, I like a lot of harder music, especially when I go out and run. There's a band out there right now called Red. Anybody listen to Red? Awesome. I love that. Robin? Cool. Couple. I always tease my beautiful redhead wife, Carolyn, that they should be her favorite, and I usually get an eye roll. <laughs> but they, they sing a song called Damage. I want to read you a couple of the lyrics. Now the damage is done. I can't escape. I can't run. Can't undo what I've done. I am waiting. Do you hear me now? Will you answer me? Are you even there? All I do is damage. Damage. It's destroying me. All I do is damage. Damage. I'm sick of the misery. Maybe you read those lyrics and you look at the trail that your life is leaving and you feel that same way. Man, everywhere I go, I'm leaving a trail of damage. Damaged relationships. Damaged people. Damage. And we're sick of the misery. 10th Avenue North, a little more mainstream, wrote a song called Worn. Maybe you've heard this one. They say, I'm tired, I'm worn. My heart is heavy from the work it takes to keep on breathing. I've made mistakes. I've let my hope fail. My soul feels crushed by the weight of this world. And I know that you can give me rest. So I cry out with all that I have left. Let me see redemption win. Let me know the struggle ends, that you can mend a heart that's frail and torn. I want to know a song can rise from the ashes of a broken life and that all that's dead inside can be reborn because I'm worn. Maybe you read, read, hear those lyrics and say, yeah, I relate to that feeling. In both of those songs, what do you hear? You hear a desire to be set free, don't you? Someone to come and set me free from, from the mess I'm in. And that's exactly what we see in our passage in the book of Luke today. We're in Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 26. You remember last week, Jesus and his disciples were caught in a furious storm. He had said to them, let us go to the other side of the lake. Today we see where they were heading. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Matthew tells us there were two men. That's not uncommon for different people to report differently. It's kind of like if I went down to a, a meeting and there were 10 people there, but one person did most of the talking with me. I don't know if you've ever been to a meeting where one person did most of the talking. Maybe meeting with me. <laughs> Quiet. Um, you know, and I went home from that meeting and I told Carolyn I had a talk with so-and-so. I just mentioned the one person doesn't mean there weren't other people there. Maybe this guy was just the more talkative of the two because Luke only tells us there was one. But a lot of the commentators look at this trip across the lake and that Jesus said, let us cross the lake. And they wonder, we're not absolutely certain, but they wonder if these two men and their freedom 
was the primary reason Jesus wanted to cross this lake in the first place. We know the theme of the book of Luke from Luke 19.10 is the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. It wouldn't be outside of his character to cross a lake, to, to face a storm, to set these men free. There is no mention of any further ministry done after they encounter these guys. They, they get in the boat and leave. Some even wonder if this was the case, if the storm was Satan's attempt to stop Jesus from getting there. You will not take this one that I've held captive for so long. These men are mine. Yet Jesus overcame that storm, didn't he? I want to go on to read the account. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. The Gospel of Mark says that no one was strong enough to subdue him that night and day among the tombs he would cry out and, and cut himself with stones. You see the misery of a man controlled by Satan. And I want to point out three marks of Satan's work in an individual's life here. They were true then, they were true in the garden, they're true today. Those three marks of Satan's work and his plan for this man and your life and every other human that's ever existed. One, isolation. Two, anxiety. And three, ultimately, destruction. We see this all the way from the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve in perfect harmony with each other, with God. The serpent tempts them to sin. And what happens? All of a sudden, they isolate they hide themselves from God because they're afraid. They, they clothe themselves because they're ashamed with each other. They're anxious as God starts to walk through the garden. They used to enjoy that. Now they're, they're hiding and they brought destruction because it brought death into the world for the first time. It's the same thing we see with this man. This man was living among the tombs. Among the dead. Bruce Larson shares that there was a study done some years back in Alameda County. Over 7,000 people were studied for nine years. And you know what they found? There is an absolute correlation between mortality and the degree to which people are alienated and lonely. Direct link between mortality and how isolated we are in our lives. Those people who spent time regularly with family and friends had a much lower rate of illness as well. We are not built for isolation. The design is seen in the community of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in unity. That's God's plan, relationship. Satan came to take that from this man. He was isolated. He was anxious. You see this constant activity and this paralyzing fear when Jesus shows up, this constant anxiety that drove this man couldn't slow down. He couldn't stop. He couldn't rest. 
then there's destruction to self and others. It says he cut himself with rocks. And he scared the people in the town so bad that they wanted nothing to do with him. They just tried to chain him up so they could be safe. He kept breaking those chains. But you see the destruction. Jameson says, terrible as he was to others, he himself endured untold misery, which sought relief in tears and self-inflicted torture. See here a man completely beside himself, completely miserable, completely lost because of Satan's work in his life. And I thought about this, and I thought it'd be easy to come into a message and sit here, and many of us are saying, this is great, but I've never met someone that's demon-possessed that I know of. What does this have to do with today? Well, number one, Satan is still on the move. You may have met someone that was possessed. Number two, I think there are ways that Satan seeks to bring these same three things into each of our lives, even if we're not possessed. There are ways in which he tempts us, and our flesh agrees, and we cooperate with him, and he leads us to the same three places. Let me give you a couple examples. One that I struggled with for a couple years in my life, pornography. I want to walk you through the three things, isolation, anxiety, and destruction. Thankfully, mine was resolved before we got married, but it was during our dating years and caused a lot of pain. But I want you to imagine the married couple, the isolation. Can you see the man on the computer in the den while the woman lays alone in the bed at night? The anxiety, can you see him working so hard to cover his steps? He's erasing internet history. And she senses that something's wrong but doesn't quite know what. That anxiety that, that's coming between them. And the eventual destruction as, as trust is eroded. And she begins to believe the lie that, that she's not good enough. That God didn't make her good enough. And, and he progresses deeper and deeper until he can no longer enjoy sexual pleasure because he's bought into an artificial lie. You see Satan smiling. I've had my way with this cup. Workaholism. You see the man alone in his office at 8.30 at night again while his wife tucks his kids into bed alone again. And she tells him, maybe he'll be here tomorrow night, kids. The anxiety that he carries because he really believes the weight of the world is on his shoulders, not God's. He can never work enough. And the anxiety is his wife wonders, will we ever be a family? The destruction as those children become teens feeling unloved by their father. And so they say, I'm going to find it somewhere else. And they they start to hang out with friends and, and lovers who don't love God. But you know what? At least they're there for me. Think about alcoholism and drug addiction. The isolation. Can you picture a woman sneaking another bottle? Someone taking another hit when when no one's around. Distancing themselves from friends and family because they can't know. They can't know. The anxiety is, is that woman finishes the bottle and she realizes that she is just as empty as the bottle she just finished. It didn't work. And the destruction. Josh Hamilton, Angels baseball player. 
He has a personal relationship with Jesus, but he's been fighting this battle with drugs for years. And he shared the destruction that it, that it brought into his life in a very poignant quote. A couple years ago, he wrote, Not that long ago, there were nights I went to sleep in strange places, praying I wouldn't wake up. After another night of bad decisions, I'd lie down with my heart speeding inside my chest like it was about to burst through the skin. My thinking was clouded and my talent was one day closer to being totally wasted. I prayed to be spared another day of guilt and depression and addiction. I couldn't continue living the life of a crack addict and I couldn't stop either. It was a horrible downward spiral that I had to pull out of or die. I lay there in a hot and dirty trailer in the North Carolina countryside in a stranger's house in the cab of my pickup and prayed the Lord would take me away from the nightmare my life had become. He goes on to say one more thing. He said, there's one memory that stands out. I ran out of gas on my way to a drug dealer's house, and from there I left the truck and started walking. I had taken clonopin, a prescription anti-anxiety drug, along with whatever else I was using at the time, and the combination had put me over the edge. It's the perfect example of what I was, a dead man walking. And maybe you hear those three examples of pornography, workaholism, alcoholism, and say, that, that's not me. But I, I would invite you to insert your own pattern of captivity. Maybe it's the insecurity that causes you to gossip about other people so that you look better than them. It leads the same place. It leaves you alone leaves you anxious, and it leaves your relationships destroyed. Maybe it's anger because you really believe you're in control, and when things get outside your control, you blow up. Guess what? It leads the same place, isolation, anxiety, and destruction. This man clearly had Satan's work in his life. I want to go to verse 28. When he saw Jesus... He cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. I don't know if Jesus was asking the man's name, but it was the demons that answered. So we are legion, for we are many. As I read about that word legion, it was a military unit in the Roman army. You know how large a Roman legion was? 6,000 soldiers. We don't know if there were exactly 6,000 demons in this man, but there were a whole lot. We know that Mary Magdalene had had seven demons cast out of her. This man potentially had thousands. There's something in here that I love. Up to 6,000 demons. And what are they doing at the feet of the Son of God? They're begging for mercy. They're begging for mercy. 
I beg you, don't torture me. They begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Matthew says, before the appointed time. That tells me a couple things. One, they know he has power over them. Absolute power. And they know there is a day coming where they will suffer the fate they deserve. They believe those two things. And they're begging at his feet. And it leads me to ask, do we believe those things about Jesus as much as they do? That he has complete and total control over Satan and his minions. That there is a day coming where he will say, no more. It's over. We win. Matthew Henry says, oh, what a comfort is this to the Lord's people that all the powers of darkness are under the check and control of the Lord Jesus. This leads me to two conclusions. One, if you don't know Jesus, you better be very afraid of the demons and Satan's plan for your life. It should cause you to run to his feet and say, help me. Because if you do know Jesus, you can walk with a newfound freedom and confidence that he is now the Lord of your life. Next, I want to look at the response of the crowd. This is interesting. How are the people in the town going to respond when they hear this crazy guy? Watch. (laughs) Set free. Verse 32. A large herd of pigs. Mark says there were 2,000 pigs. That may give us some indication as to how many demons there were. Was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Some have said this was the beginning of deviled ham, for those who enjoy that. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. Yeah, they're like 2,000 pigs run off a cliff. They they run and they, they go to tell everybody. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. How beautiful is that? They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And listen to this. All the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Maybe a couple things going on here. They had seen the power of the demon-possessed man. Now there's someone there stronger than the demons. They say, whoa, we saw his power. How strong is this guy? (laughs) So they're in this awe and fear. But many believe it was a case of valuing pigs over people. Somebody lost a whole lot of money when those pigs ran over the hillside. Listen to this quote from Morris. He says, "Their, their fear may have been a superstitious reaction to the supernatural power may have also been associated with the material loss in the destruction of the pigs. If so, they saw Jesus as a disturbing person. 
more interested in saving men than in material prosperity. It was more comfortable to ask him to go. Now, a lot of us read that and we're like, what's wrong with these people? They see how that guy lived for all those years and now he's free. They should be thrilled. They should be rejoicing for his freedom. Uh, Bruce Larson wants to bring it home to us. Watch this. He says, it's easy to condemn those townspeople, but suppose for a minute that herd of pigs represents a year of your salary in today's terms. Let's imagine that a friend of yours had a serious breakdown and that in your prayer time, God led you to the place where he said, if you will quit your job and spend a year with that person, he or she will get well. Would you do it? I'm not sure I would, he says. I might say, aren't there places for people like that? We have asylums and institutions. Let them go there. It's easier to warehouse our ill and to give them drugs than to invest our own lives and time. He closes with this. He says, before we condemn the Gadarenes, let's understand that the cost is often high for a person-to-person ministry. Leads us to ask, what means more? Our earthly possessions or the freedom that Jesus has told us to, to preach and bring into the lives of those around us. So we talked about three symptoms of Satan's control, and now I want to look at three symptoms when God takes over. Demons are gone. They've rushed this herd of pigs into the water. We read, when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Warren Wearsby said, No amount of man-made authority or restraint can control or change the devil's servants. Their only hope is in the Savior. As you see this man sitting peacefully in his right mind, I want to look at three changes that took place in his life. One, he's no longer isolated. He's sitting there in relationship with Jesus and his disciples. How good that must have felt after all those years of isolation. Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. God's plan is not for isolation, it's for relationship and unity, just as we see in the Trinity. He's no longer anxious, but he's peaceful. How many of you would love to trade some anxiety in for some peace this morning? He's sitting there peaceful in his right mind for the first time in years. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Not in isolation, he's in relationship, not anxious, he's peaceful. One more, he's no longer destructive, he's edifying. You know what that means, constructive. He's going to do some building up that we'll talk about more in just a moment. But first, I want to read a couple beautiful quotes. Bruce Larson, when you submit to the Lordship of Christ, you are most free. Martin Luther said, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to no one. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. This is balance. We lose our freedom to find a new freedom. Matthew Henry says, those that are under the devil's government are furiously driven. 
Those that are under Christ's government are sweetly led with the bands of love. I like that. We said he was no longer destructive but edifying. Watch this. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Mark gives us a little more here. He says, go home to your own people and tell them how much and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that was not just one city, that was 10 cities. Mostly Gentile cities. First time we see the, the gospel cracking into Gentile territory. How much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. You think about this man that everybody was afraid of. They chained him up because they didn't want him to kill him. It was destructive. Now he's taking the life-giving words of hope and peace in Jesus Christ back to the same people, building them up. He wanted to go with Jesus, but Jesus said, I've got a different plan for you. Matthew Henry says this, we must sometimes deny ourselves the satisfaction of spiritual benefits and comforts to gain the opportunity of being serviceable to the souls of others. Even the disciples that were traveling with Jesus, we know in chapter 9, he's about to send them out as well. It's not enough just to hang out with Jesus, and it's not enough just to hang out with his people. That's what these banners are all about. We want communion with God, worship and prayer and Bible reading. We want community with each other as we build relationships. But if we don't have this sense of commission that I'm here to make disciples of all nations, we're missing a key part of it. And so when I see Jesus saying to this man, go back home and tell them what God has done for you, part of what I hear him saying to us is, hey, some of us got to get outside what many call the Christian ghetto a little more. It's good that you hang out in church services and Christian bookstores and Christian coffee shops and Christian groups on Facebook and Christian small groups. But there's more to life than that. We're here on a mission. That's what he's saying to this man. That's why I hear him saying to us, you've been set free. Some of you are thinking of the ways you've been set free. Go go tell others. I want to close by asking the question, are people set free today? The answer is a hearty yes. I spoke with Rose this week. I I gave her a call because she had foot surgery recently. I I teased her, I asked her how her dog was because I heard it came from kicking her dog too much. She said, he's okay. (laughs) But as we got to talking, um, Rose was sharing a story with me that a couple months back, she had been in a fender bender. We all know how much of a headache those are. And long story short, they sent her to an eight-hour driving school class. Eight hours. When I did one, it was only like two hours. That's insane. And and she said while she was there, uh, there were a lot of people there for DUIs and drug charges. We talked about how, what what, what an opportunity. Eight Eight hours with a group of people that Jesus would love to set free. 
And she went on to tell me something that I didn't know that, that rocked my world this week. It's so powerful. You never know the story of the person sitting next to you. She said I could share this. She said it was just about four or five years ago. She was addicted to alcohol. And she shared how one morning she was driving and she heard a song on, on Radio Shine and it just touched something in her heart. And she said, I, I, I want to I find a church. And she went to a church in town, met up with the pastor and some other people. And long story short, she gave her life to Jesus Christ at that church about four years ago. And Jesus set her free from that addiction to alcohol. Now, the story didn't stop there. What I think was so beautiful is just like Jesus told this demon-possessed man who had been set free, go back and tell, tell them what's been done for you. Rose is sitting in this eight-hour class, which would have been easy just to sit in a corner. and <laughs> But she st- strikes up a conversation with a young woman who was in there because of a DUI. And Rose began to tell her what happened in her life four years ago. How Jesus had set her free. How she had found hope where she could never find hope before. Rose is a redhead, so you know she's a little feisty. She even said something like, man, I feel sorry for the people that, are, that are, haven't come to Jesus when God, God comes back. we got to come to Jesus. <laughs> she's sharing the hope of, of, of Jesus with this young woman. And she starts talking about our church. And, and uh, Rose tells her where we're at. He says, maybe we'll come check it out someday. But I thought, Rose, that was just a beautiful example of, hey, go, go out and tell what God has done for me. Tell about the mercy he's given to me. Ephesians 6 says, for all of us, we ought to have feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Instead of isolation, relationship, instead of anxiety, peace, and instead of destruction, we've got a message of edification. I want to close by throwing the question out there. Could you be set free this morning?